Hello there and welcome to Conversations in Noosa. My name is John Caruso. Matt Galinsky dislikes the title Celebrity Chef. However, it's a title that sticks because of his early TV appearances and the fact that he has, over time, built up a name and reputation for himself, not only for the work that he does in the kitchen, but also as an ambassador and champion for producers across the country. He's also known as the man that tragically lost his wife and three small children in a house fire in 2011. We're not going to go into the details of that particular event. If you want more info, you can always Google that. However, what I and many others who have experienced loss are keen to learn is how and from where does someone like Matt draw his strength from? These days, he's a new dad with new beginnings, a garage full of motorcycles and a basement full of music. He still loves to surprise and delight people with his food. We met at Noosa National Park, where the walking and running tracks start, and he began by telling me about his connection to the Sunshine Coast. You know, I've been, I've moved away and I've lived other places, but really, you know, if, I guess if you've grown up here, you're kind of, you're bound to come back here at some point in your life. It's a pretty, pretty special spot. What were your interests? Because I know you as a person that um, has many interests. Mm. You love fast Italian motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. I've got to come to your music room. I know you love yep. music and guitars and that kind of stuff. And, and, and you're a chef. Uh, so food, music, cars, what, what, what was your passion when you were young? Oh look, I, I guess I started with music really early, my mum played guitar so I was sort of, you know, I wanted to be like her and I got bought a guitar when I was eight and started playing and then I, I played, I learned cello for three years in primary school and then I kind of got to high school and, and started, you know, cello wasn't very cool in high school, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed and then lugging it for 45 minutes each way on a bus. There's Matt. He yeah, plays yeah, the cello. Definitely. It's, a, it's, a, it's like having a tuba or something. Um, That's another non-cool instrument. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I switched to playing bass and, um, you know, got together with a, a bunch of my mates in a, in a little band. We were called the Decomposers. Great name. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. We just pretty much played Wild Thing over and over and Hey Joe. Three chords, but, yeah, you need. Good songs, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and, and so yeah, that was a real love of mine, always has been, and it still is. Um, but I kind of reached that age of oh, probably of, of high school, it went to high school, and by that stage I pretty much knew that I wanted to be a chef. So as much as I was enjoying being in a band and, you know, being a lad and getting around and doing, you know, we played gigs all over the Sunshine Coast and we, we weren't even old enough to be in the pubs we were playing in, you know, and we had a heap of fun. Um, but I always knew that cooking was going to be the thing that I really wanted to do. And when I left high school, that was, I just moved straight to Brizzy and took up an apprenticeship and, the, and it all went from there. That was always, it's always been my, um, my main thing from when I was a really, really young kid. So you mentioned your mum uh, was musical. Was she also the one that sparked that 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 passion for food? Was she a great cook? Look, I'd like to tell you that you know I sat on the kitchen bench watching my mum and my nonna making gnocchi or whatever. But no, that wasn't the case. Yeah. <laughs> she she would have considered herself quite a bad cook. I, <laughs> I never thought she was, but she she um, you know never considered herself to be that great. I I, I was you know she, she did teach me stuff, but she by no means was she, it was it that sort of classic you know italian mama sort of situation twice now you've mentioned nonna and the italian is there an italian background no not at all no no my mum's was scottish english and (laughs) dad is english polish yeah yeah no so not really but i mean that's that's a sort of 
cliche thing that you see on on cooking shows. It's the thing where, that you say. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Exactly. <laughs> Watching my nonna make the gnocchi. Mm. <laughs> so um, I imagine, and and well, it's longer than a decade. Uh, you know, this thing about chefs, celebrity chefs, this uh, real attraction to the kitchen, this the glamorous aspect. You started before that. Yeah. Before yeah, it was really definitely, you, and I still you, don't find it's that bloody glamorous, to be honest. <laughs> But you've seen you've seen that transition, like you've seen yeah. this because of reality TV shows, yeah. And you know you've seen where where people have now a real desire and aspiration, and you know the kind of concoctions they come up with yeah. in the kitchen. There's a real, but that's. I think there's definitely two different sides to that. I mean, when I, when I started doing Ready Steady Cook, and it was the you know it was the first series, and they rang me. I was working at Ricky's, the head chef there. And they rang and said, oh, we're doing this show. Do you want to come and audition for it? And I said, oh, no, not really. See you later. <laughs> hung up. And then I spoke to somebody and they went, oh, you should just go for the audition. Oh, okay, I'll go and do it. And went down to Brisbane and did the audition. They gave me five ingredients and 20 minutes to cook four dishes. And, and I did it. And they called me two days later and said, yeah, you're in the team. I'm like, holy shit, now I've got to actually go and do this on TV. Um, and it was, you know, the, that first year of Ready, Steady, Cook was me... Manu Fidel, George Colombaris, Gary Megan, Nathan Richardson, um, you know, uh, uh, Alistair McLeod, all us guys who all started out there, but we weren't looking to be celebrity chefs. That wasn't a thing really that existed then. We were just guys who were chefs who happened to be chosen to go on a TV show. Now, being a celebrity chef is what kids go into cooking hoping to be one day. You know, instead of wanting to make people happy by cooking them food, which is what I still do yeah. and what I still enjoy and the reason why I do it. So, you know, being a celebrity, I actually really like hate being called a celebrity chef. It's the worst thing you possibly Apologies, call then. me. Right. Sorry. No, I, 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 it takes me back to like a, a um, Anthony Bourdain, who is a, um, an American New York yeah. chef, yeah. great, you know, very funny fella. Very um, and he once said sarcastic and I use this this, this <laughs> comment all the time he says that he once said that he'd rather be called a habitual masturbator than a celebrity chef and I, I use that line a bit because it's so true it's just hideous uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it implies that all you do is kind of swan around from makeup straight onto the set you know yeah. and all your ingredients are weighed out for you and you throw yeah. a few things yeah. into a pot whereas you know I still work every week as a chef cooking somewhere and pushing myself and learning every week you know and that's um you know because that's what i love doing i don't i love getting in front of a crowd and, and doing a demonstration teaching people things and about cooking and and inspiring them. and that's great but my main focus is working with food and cooking people you know feeding people yeah maybe there's a niche there for a, a reality reality show yeah. where you're just giving slaps and <laughs> wannabes across the you come yeah, on absolutely. this is the reality of, of yeah. what it's like being in the kitchen so let's talk about that because i i i you know, I, I know how to barbecue and stuff, but I mean, <laughs> um, I love watching, um, you know, if you've got Netflix, there's Chef's Table and there's another show called mm. Ugly Delicious and all this kind of stuff. And to me, it's about, I, I just want to get your take on a chef who loves to please people, consumers, and also playing with food. Do you do a lot of that where you experiment with different flavours and tastes? And is that is that the, the, the really the major driver for you to think what foods go with what and the outcomes? And is that how your how, how your brain works? About? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's always about you know trying to 
um, work with the ingredients that you've got. I mean, my focus in the last, well, for, for my whole career has been about using uh, cooking food that's produce driven. So it's all about what's available to me. It's not about you know deciding to cook something and then going to try and find the ingredients it's about having the ingredients and working out what you're going to do with them so to me as new ingredients become available I, I i love that idea of trying to find the perfect balance of ingredients in a dish and um you know putting putting things together that um to me are that perfect balance of texture or, and flavor and you know contrasts and everything else and and that's something that you, you as a chef you should always strive for and the thing is i could cook a dish for you a lunch for you today cook a dish for you that i think is perfect i'll look at it next week and go no 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 it's not right and i'd change it to something else because to me it's, it's ever about, it's always yeah, evolving and, and it's and that's the beauty of food as well it's kind of the ingredients change and the your idea of them changes and fashion changes <laughs> You know, the way we presented stuff in the 80s is a hell of a lot different to the way we present it now, you know. Um, so it's a it's a fashion as well, something that we have to keep up with. We're seeing that with cutlery and crockery too, oh, actually. Yeah, no, no, but, but this is stuff that's very subtle, yep. but only when, you know, when I go out my wife says, you notice that the black cutlery, Yeah, well, that's very in. Well, the plate, you know, that's true. It yeah. is about fashion, oh, isn't it? Oh, definitely, very much so. Yeah. yeah. It's an industry that's, I mean, it's, it's the same as, you know, hairdressing or any of those sort of uh, trades i suppose that yep. you call trades um and that's why it's there's so many egos involved in it because everyone's so bloody insecure you know, is there a lot of is there a lot of ego oh, i think there probably is i think there's probably less than what there used to be people are a bit more chilled out these days but i think that still exists you know that that so it's very competitive oh it, it's competitive and it's also you want to be the best and you want to be the most creative and you you know you want to be the most innovative and and so you, you, I guess you're, um, you know, protective of your own, you know, knowledge and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. You're a great believer in, in, in we talk about local produce, you're an ambassador for Gimpy Gold, which is, uh, can you talk about that? What, yeah. what, what, what exactly is that? That's where we, you, you, we, we utilise local products, you uh, <laughs> are kind of the, the face of, of, of that and, and in an, in an endeavour to get people to use more local products? Yeah, I think but more than anything, I'm sort of... I was employed by the Gympie Council to be their food ambassador, and the, that role has always been about me being an advocate for the producers and getting to know them. That's the, me developing relationships with those people and getting to understand their product and their what they're trying to achieve in their business so it's about building their businesses basically them getting bigger and stronger and making themselves successful um and so i'm there to get to know them and then i can then go out if i'm doing a cooking demonstration i'm using five ingredients from the gimpy region i can tell the story of each of those producers you know i can talk about how they how they look after their animals or how they grow their crops or how they you know collect their eggs or whatever it might be um, and that's it's the stories that people want to hear about food these days that they want to know the provenance of their food and so to be able to relay that to people I, I'm you know and it's something that I've really fallen in love with doing I absolutely love going to farms now any opportunity I get to, to go and look at avocado trees or chickens or whatever mm. I'm like yes I'll be there you know is it an issue I know you, you were involved you're the past president of slow food noosa the convivium yep. um, and, and I hear a lot about it because my wife's in, involved from a PR perspective. 
Um, is it the tyranny of distance in a place like Australia? And when we talk about that, that you know, geographically, how close we are to our farmers. I mean, do you think it's crazy? Well, you would agree that it's, that that we grow something here in Queensland. It, it gets sent to Melbourne. It refrigerated then it gets transported back to here i mean but in europe you know those communities are a lot closer and a lot a lot mm. tighter can we ever hope to achieve something similar look on a mass scale probably not you know yeah. there's always going to be coals and woolies but at the same time take a look at around at how many farmers markets have popped up yeah you know and that's it's a great example you look at you know noosa farmers markets or kiwana farmers markets those markets that it's the real farmers actually going there and selling their stuff direct uh, and the amount of people that go to those on a every sunday or every saturday they it's become part of their shopping culture not just a novelty so that's to a degree i mean that's never going to service the whole of the noosa community the noosa farmers market but at the same time it, it's a start yeah. and that you know as as the supermarkets see that there's a demand, they look at they'd be looking at the news farmers market, going, "Oh, people want local food. Oh, maybe we should stock more of it in our supermarket. Let's see what we can do to try and get that." And yeah. so, it sort of perpetuates that idea of of buying local as people more people want. It's all about supply and demand. So, um, yeah, look, I think it's something that's growing slowly, slowly, and and people's awareness of it is growing all the time. So. Um, yeah, like I say, well, I don't think it's ever going to be a huge mainstream thing, the whole local food thing. But, I mean, you go to Italy, there's still supermarkets everywhere sure. as well as the local town centre market yeah. or whatever. But, um, you know, people learning to actually shop for only the food that they need for the for the week and all that sort of stuff is, is reducing waste. It's, you know, eating, eating locally, eating seasonally, yeah. all that sort of stuff. So, you know, people are getting, getting better and better at it all the time. Now, I, I don't want to, we're not going to relive, you know, the events of Boxing Day 2011. People can Google about that. But what I am interested in is, is your strength and the inspiration that you can give to others. And I know you and my wife have had a, um, a professional relationship with the magazine. In Noosa Magazine, you're our um, contributing writer, which I want to talk about that as well, because sure. my understanding is before that you hadn't written anything. <laughs> but she, every time she talks about your your articles you know you're a great writer in, oh, in, in, in terms of the articles that you contribute but I want to talk about uh, just back to a conversation you have had with Deborah my wife who says that you don't think you have anything to say on 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 you know your life after that but if it's all right with you I, I think you have a lot to say and, and you are an inspiration to people everyone experiences loss not to the degree or the circumstances that you experience but you know, for me, I, I lost my parents. I, I put that's the circle of life. They were in their eighties, and you know, we move on from that. But irrespective of that loss and that grief—parents, siblings, friends, family—you do look to other people for, in, and you look to see. I wonder how they're coping and what they're doing. Mm. And so, I mean, in that regard alone, you have a lot to say to people. I mean, how did you, you know, to put one foot in front of the other and to keep moving? And to come back from that—that's that's the story. Mm. That's the inspiration. I think that's what people are interested in. That. Yeah. Look, I think it probably comes. To, you know, I get asked that sort of uh, how to, how did you do it? How do you get through the? Yeah, you know, I imagine. You, yeah. So I get asked that a lot, yeah. and I and I don't really have a decent answer for it. That's the biggest problem, I suppose. But you know, I'd I'd probably say, you know, it sort of comes down to 
when you put into a situation of having to deal with something you just do it's like if if you're in a car crash and and lost your legs and you you know if i was to say to you tomorrow you're going to lose your legs in a car crash no no i can't do that i can't live like that you do you will you'll be at the next paralympics probably because people are resilient and they you know put into a, a a tough situation um where you just have to cope with it you know i didn't want to at first yeah. my first reaction when i woke up from eight weeks in a coma was well why on earth did they keep me alive you know what yeah. on earth made them think i mean they tried really hard too they had to try you know i i, I would have died on, on the table you know a dozen times as my liver gave in or my lungs or my heart or yeah. my kidneys or whatever everything had to go at you know giving up on me i was really trying to leave um and they kept on being able to bring me back so when i came to and sort of went on oh, why why on earth did they think you know, i want to be still alive um but but you know one of the big things i guess was that that, that spurred me on was that after a couple of weeks my um my family my dad and my sister started bringing in just sacks full of like garbage bags full of cards and letters and from everyone people i didn't even know you know from all over australia it was quite incredible and and i suddenly went oh well you know that it would be it would be really um just selfish of me to my girls who were no who didn't get the opportunity to continue living um and to all these people who actually really care about me want to see me succeed be really selfish of me to just become a mess and give up you know yeah. so i want to show them that that you know i deserve their love and praise and their yeah, their support you know so to me it was that kind of spurred me on i suppose and and um and it's just gone from there i just you know i i, I would say i probably have three bad times a day every day you know yeah, and do you know what that's uh, that's something else that i wanted to ask you about i mean again you know my memory I, I would think about my parents a stack of times a day yep and i miss them and all that and yep. then i think but then how does how do you do it yeah and, and how do you keep rolling forward well you can let yourself you can let yourself sort of drop into a, a like a sadness or a depression yeah from you know, we're sitting here in National Park right now, looking at the ocean. This is where me and my girls used to come, you know. We'd right. go down to, to one of the bays and, and spend all day there, yep. splashing around in the rocks and, and everything. So it, it, there can be, on a day like today, just the, the smell in the air or the actual breeze or the temperature or the yep. way the sunlight is or anything like that can be a trigger that you go, oh, it reminds me of that day that we were here and blah, blah, blah. You know, and the, the smell of people's sunscreen or yeah. the all those sorts of yeah, things yeah, right. it can be a trigger that you and but you can go you can either go oh i'm so sad because they're not here anymore or you could go remember that bloody awesome t day that we had here at a beach you know i wouldn't change that for the world so you've got to just go well i had that then yeah and and i should be grateful for that um and i don't have it now and there's nothing i can do about that yeah. so there's no point in me driving myself insane thinking about it yeah um and so that's to me, that's the only way you can really get through, you know, something like that. There was a lot of rehabilitation. We'll get to Erin, your, your fiance mm. and mum of new bub to a Luna. Um, I remember reading a headline though. Uh, once you, you you started, I think it said "Running is my salvation" was one of the headlines. So you 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 ran a yep. lot, and and, and, and yeah, that was that was a really big big part of me getting out of that hospital and 
I, because I was a runner before. Right. And so, uh, to me, you know, it was kind of like uh, we need to get you up and moving again. And and because I woke up, I couldn't, I couldn't walk, I couldn't speak. You know, that was basically it was like a, you know, they'd stand me up on a on a board um, out of my hospital bed, and I'd I'd take two steps and then they'd put me back on and in bed and that was the day's physio you know and so by the time i left hospital i was running circles around in the gym um and i left there i went to rehab in karoi and said to the to the physios and the ex-physios and that i said oh there's a a fun run in a month's time i want it 5k i want to do it and they said oh no you can't do that and i said yeah i'm gonna do it and it became a thing for me of setting goals yep. you know to me in my head it was it wasn't about my physical recovery necessarily it was all to do with my mental recovery yeah yeah you know and staying focused and um and w- really wanting to achieve that so you know i did the 5k run and then i did a month later i did a 10k run and then a month later I did two 10k yeah. runs in a weekend and then a half marathon <laughs> and then a marathon and then I did a cape to cape in <laughs> western australia and Awesome. All that sort of stuff, and so that became my thing. But I mean, the reason that we're here today is because the the Tanglewood track, which runs up through the rainforest and then around across and back down to where we're standing, where we're sitting here, um, I've run it hundreds of times, and it's my it's my happy place. It's my go-to for a run. It's a seven k run, and if I am ever feeling down, yeah. I'll just come here, throw the shoes on, yeah. um, and and just run it. You know, and and guaranteed by the time I finish that seven k's, I feel heaps better. So, Erin was mentioned earlier was part of your re- rehabilitation. Yeah, look, that's I met, where you met. Yeah, I met Erin. She was a, an assistant to all the the physios and um, and uh, OTs and everything at at um, Karoi. And um, she was just a, a really um, you know, really friendly, happy person, and our connection was music. So she loved going to see live bands, and I loved going to see live bands. So if she was going to see a live band, she would ask everybody, you know, that was at Eden if they wanted to come to, oh, Busby Maria playing down at Mumbai, do you want to come to that? And and she'd organise the tickets for everyone. And and so we went to, you know, a few gigs together and everything and got got to know each other a little bit better. And, um, you know, and then it just... I like to tell the story that... Um, she fell instantly in love with me and, and uh, you know, I kept knocking her back. But the fact is that I had to try very, very hard to convince her to go out with me. So, but, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's uh, an absolutely, I just loved her from, from day one. I just loved her, like her empathy and her compassion and for everybody, not just me, but for everybody in that place. Yeah. You know, I was surrounded by people who'd had strokes and, you know, um, hip replacements and, you know, it was a, and I, you know, I was, I was the young whippersnapper in the place, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, and just seeing her, how she worked with everyone from, you know, 10 year old kids through to 80 year old grandmas, you know, and, and that was what, what I liked about her. That's what yeah. impressed me. There's a special kind of personality that attracts those people and, and knowing Erin as your partner and someone that's written for the magazine as well. She's just the always, always smiling, always mm fun loving and congratulations Aluna how old is Aluna now she's just turned six months and you two are engaged no plan have you got a wedding date no no, no we sort of when it we, happens yeah we, well, I sprung getting engaged on her up the top of Mount Karua one day I organised you guys her. go up there a lot yeah yeah do a lot of climbing because we love, live on Mountain Street yeah. so it's sort of obligatory <laughs> that we climb the mountain um, but uh, yeah and we sort of we got engaged and then we decided that it was we, we really wanted to um, you know, 
because I'm not getting any younger and and so I sort of went oh let's make the priority seeing if we can have some kids and so you know we should we had we tried very hard but that as well that was that was something that that didn't come easily um but uh you know yeah it's it's, it's amazing now just I just I spent half an hour just playing with her in bed this morning before she went off with mum to to the yeah. fitness class and uh you know it was just I just blown away by how happy she makes me yeah you're talking about going out to see live music again I mentioned your passion for for making music so what do you you got a music room at home what do you got in there a guitar drums you record stuff yeah you got a Mac yeah I have actually I've got my turned my old Mac laptop into the garage band uh thing and so I, I you know I, I pretty much I play a bit of everything, but all kind of badly. So it's okay because all all the people in my band are at the same level of badness. So I can play drums, bass, guitar, blues, harp, congas. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not very good at keyboard, but I'm learning. Um, but the, you know, it's something that that I can really lose myself in. I really enjoy doing it. I'm never going to be, you know, an an amazing musician. I don't, you know. But I, I've got mates who are sort of in that same situation I suppose and and it's just a you know when you get together you know when you get together with a group of mates who all play music and it doesn't have to be doesn't have to sound fantastic but it's a form of communication and it makes you feel really happy I'm trying to get my son he's got he's got two three-quarter size guitars an electric and a and and an acoustic and it still hasn't sparked in him yet but he does does love the the Ramones because I think there was a song or two included on the latest Spider-Man movie and just back to this thing, you don't need to like. I, I remember telling him, so you know, the Ramones only have three chords, right? And so like anyone can do that. Yeah, so you just got to be into. You just got to. You just got to no, just no. pick it up and start thrashing away. Yeah, absolutely. And to a degree, you people are telling you the Rolling Stones aren't even great musicians. You know, there was a great quote once in the documentary. I think they asked Keith Richards. They said, "Who's the better guitar player, you or Ronnie?" And Keith's, Keith's response was something like. Um, well, individually, we're not much chop. There's two army choppers overhead. Three. Pretty cool sight. I reckon. So his response was, individually, we're not much chop, but together, we're better than ten others. Oh, really? Which I thought was a great yeah, quote. Yeah, it's a good quote, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so what are you listening to? Like, I remember coming over to your place once, and you had, like, an old... And you got some vinyl, which I'm very envious of, because you've got a turntable. There was a, a Dylan album out there, and... Uh, yeah, look, I've got all the... Your taste? I've got a lot of the old, sort of... I grew up, as a teenager, listening to a lot of the old 60s stuff. So, you know, the Rolling Stones, the Beatles... Um, uh, Credence, all that sort of stuff, and I've still got all that vinyl, and I do listen to it fairly, fairly regularly. I've actually broken my record collection up now into like a '60s section, a punk section, and <laughs> all Australian sections. Oh. So my my taste's pretty um, eclectic, I have to say. But I, I mean, I kind of I do love um, my sort of alternative and punk music as well. So, and I'm by punk, I don't mean um, you know. Sex Pistols and stuff like that. I mean, sort of, you're thinking man's punk. Yeah. You know, whether you don't have to dress up with spiky hair no, and... and um, or if you like you an American-style punk. Yeah, yeah, you, definitely. Not, not not the kind of punk that was going through the UK in the late 70s. No, exactly no, right. right. Apart from the Buzzcocks, because they were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, the kind of bands are at the CBGB in Manhattan. That's exactly right. That talking Heads, yeah. you know. Talking Heads is one of my all-time yeah, yeah, favourite yeah. bands. So. yeah. Uh, yeah, got all. I've got all of their records on vinyl. Um, I grew up. I, you know, I live, grew up in Palmwoods, and me and my mates 
on a weekend our thing was to get on the train at Palmwoods or Mumbai or whatever and go down to Brisbane and and hit the secondhand record stores so we'd go to the record market record exchange they're all gone now um, but records then were secondhand records for like three bucks or whatever and yeah. we'd come home with a massive pile of you know spent all our pocket money on records and comparing and it was different when we were kids buying vinyl the excitement and the artwork mm. going to places like Chandler's to get the oh, latest yeah. twelve ninety nine for your long player yep I think Rocking Horse is Rocking Horse Records Rocking still, Horse is still, still there, there. Yep. yep just off the mall yep Rocking Horse is still there yep oh, I was just in there recently actually um, there's a, there's funnily enough there's a, uh, there's a good second hand record shop in Nambour that I, I go to yeah, all the time yeah. um but uh, yeah, look, they're, they're more and more around. I got asked, um, they had a, a thing about it on ABC Radio um, the other day, talking, Steve Austin was talking about why this, you know records are becoming so popular now, why vinyl's becoming so popular, and I actually rang up. Why and it's so bloody it. expensive. It's, it's very expensive. Um, and you know, and I rang him, I said, oh look, I, I couldn't resist, because <laughs> I am a bit of a vinyl freak myself. Um, and I said, oh, look, I think it's, you know, that you can argue that the sound quality is better from vinyl, better than anything else, assuming that your records aren't all scratched to hell yeah. after you've lived in share households but there's, or whatever. wasn't that... I mean, the thing about vinyl is there's a warmth in the... The, the, the music in the 60s and the 70s and was recorded on analogue tape. Mm. And it was that transition from analogue tape to vinyl, pressed vinyl, that gave it that warmth sound. Mm. I mean, you know, I'm sure we can all remember the excitement when, you know, Brothers in Arms first came out on CD and people were like, this is unbelievable! Yeah. It's like they're in the room. But now this, this, this kind of... We've moved away from that, that, oh, that crystal clear, and we're, we're yearning for that warmth mm. of vinyl again. Is, yeah. is, but would you say that's true because of it was recorded on analogue tape back in yeah, the... Yeah, look, I think there's definitely a difference in sound, but I'd have to say, for me, the thing that I love about it is that kind of um, mindfulness of putting on a record. Yes. You know, to me, that's what the it's process. all about. It's, it's it, you know, I've, got, I've already got, I've got a computer with... 5,000 albums on it and I could press shuffle and just listen to songs all day that I like Yeah. however if I've got to walk to the record collection and flick through it yeah. and find a record that I want yeah. pull it out pull out the inner sleeve yeah. see all the photos of them playing live and look at the song words the artwork's important yeah the artwork's yeah, yeah. very important they're, they're, each each record is a, is a work of art and they put a lot of time into the inner sleeves and all that sort of stuff as well and then, you, and then you've got things like the song titles I mean we're so, you know, if you have a think about an album that you've got on your computer that you've just, you might have bought recently in the last few years, do you know any of the names of the, any of the actual songs? Probably not. Whereas if you've got an album, you pull it out and you've got the songs in front of you there. And side one is this and song. And the lyrics too. Yeah, and the lyrics, that's exactly right. right. Yeah. So that's the difference to me. And, and so, you know, I have spent hours poring over so many of those records and every little thing and I'll look at who the producer was yeah. and you know where it was recorded and what year and you know all that sort of information actually goes into your brain yeah, that's yeah, what I no, love no, about no. it no yeah it's very nostalgic I yeah. have the, exactly the same same thoughts the only problem I've got a milk crate full of vinyl but I just don't have a turntable because mm. then I think I need to hook that up to an amp you do yeah. unfortunately I, yes. I, I yep. unless I can get it straight into like a, a Bose speaker or something yeah you might be able to do that yeah how many motorbikes do you have you surprised me yeah. with your answer the other day I thought you had one or two yeah and no, I've got well, I've got five at the moment right it's kind of the thing about owning motorbikes, right, is that before you buy a new one, you've really got to sell the old one first, because once you've bought the new one, you can justify that you, oh, you but I still like the old one, 
and so I might just hang on to her for a bit longer and so I've kind of done that four times now yeah um, they all Italian oh I've got um, I've got three Italians and two Japanese so I've got two little Hondas and a motor guzzy and two Ducatis at the moment um, and I love them all for different reasons you Italian. know every well every one of them is a completely different riding experience and so you can kind of pick your mood and decide or you know pick your your route which way are you going and and to suit you know pick Where the motorbike to suit oh well you know even just riding down here from Pomona to Noosa is is nice enough you know but um anywhere out into the countryside like if you go from if I go from Pomona out towards Tin Can Bay even all those little old country roads around there or head out to the Mary Valley and up through into Imbal yeah, and all great, that sort of area Kenilworth Mullaney yeah, yeah. there's so many good places to ride around the Sunshine Coast so you know and and once again I'm I'm no you know legendary um, speedster on a motorbike it's not that's not my focus either I rode I don't ride motorbikes to show how fast I can go I ride them because I love that feeling of it and and also there's kind of like once again that kind of you're more you're closer to everything like you're closer to the smells of everything around it's you exhilarating. you notice stuff yeah. more it is it's exhilarating and you, do you tinker do you play around with it do you yeah little span bit. around and... i'm no genius with mechanics but <laughs> <laughs> i do enjoy it and i enjoy i've just recently bought a, a 1977 motor guzzy le mans mark one yeah. and, and and i bought it you know that's an expensive old motorcycle and it's like an old tractor basically the, the beauty of it is that it, with a new motorbike like the, the scrambler i wouldn't if i something went wrong with it i'd just take it straight to the mechanic and they can sort it out because it's too too complicated it's, a, it's like a computer these days whereas the old motor guzzy you know it's just nuts and bolts and yeah. eventually if you if you tinker with it long enough you're going to fix what's wrong with it so <laughs> Yeah. It's pretty straightforward. Or break it. There's not a lot of electronic components on there. You don't have to be a technician. That's right. Uh, I want to talk about your riding because, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, was uh, riding for Indusa Magazine your first kind of riding job? Yeah, pretty much, I'd say. Um, you know, I kind of... In that style, I suppose, yes. Yeah. Um, you write about food. Write about food or about producers or yeah. that sort of thing. And that's what I love to do. So it kind of comes easily. Um, it does well. It must because I, I hear from my wife, who's the editor and chief, and she says every time your stories come through, she loves your stories. She loves your writing. Oh, I gave an example before. I think Cecilia is a Rosella farmer. Yes, she is. Ro yeah. Is it Rose Roselle? Rosella? Rosella. Yeah. A Rosella farmer. And one of your headlines was Cecilia, you're baking my tarts. <laughs> she dropped that one on me the other day in the bathroom, <laughs> and, I, and I laughed and I laughed and. I, and, and, and she said, look, and for someone that hadn't written extensively before, she says, your writing's awesome. That's and awesome. as a result of that, you're, you've got a blog as well for Gimpy, yeah. uh, for, for Gimpy Gold, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so I, I, I sort of choose a producer each month and, and write a story about them and, you know, come up with a recipe using their, whatever yeah. that is that they produce. So, um, you know, it's something that doesn't, I don't think it really comes that easy to me. I, I do dwell on it heaps yeah oh, you know okay. so if i sit down to write something i will pour over it for hours and hours and drive myself insane so it's not like it just sort of comes out of me but um <laughs> you know and, and there's all that self self-doubt and am i yeah. writing this properly will people think i'm an idiot sort of thing you know that comes yeah. with all that but yeah look as long as um as long as you know everyone's happy with it at the moment that's good and i think it i do I do Im improve all the time with it and get a oh, little bit more down. confident with it. And did you want to? Did you want to do a cookbook? 
Yeah, look, that's something that I've been working on for many years, and and I keep on putting it off and putting it off. I, I and I and I, you know, every time I sort of think of it, I go, you really should just do this, you know, get on with it and hurry up and and get it done. But it, when I do it, I want it to be something that's really special and something that I I can look at and go, yeah, that's me in a book, you know, that sums my career up and my life. I don't want to be a franchise of you know 18 books i just want to write one really bloody good one yeah (laughs) um and so when i do it you know it'll i hope that i'll do it in the next couple of years um you know i sort of started doing it when i first came out of hospital i was staying with my dad and and i had my own veggie garden and i started just you know creating dishes and photographing them and doing all that and then um and then I just got too busy. Everyone wanted me to go and do bloody food festivals. Let's and talk about that because you do. Just when before we started, like you, you pushed and pulled from all different angles and food festivals all all over Australia, all over Queensland. Yeah, everywhere. yeah, all over the place. I'm off to Hunter Valley next next week. Yeah, is it tiring? Um, do, do you like doing them? Oh no, I really enjoy doing yeah. them. You know, but it, um, I guess yeah, mentally a little bit. It, it's you know because I, when I do so, for example, I'm going to Hunter Valley next week. And I'm there. I'm the chef that's there to be the advocate for all the producers who are there displaying at the Maitland Taste Festival. You know, so it's my job to explain to people why they should be buying these people's produce if they live there, um, and using it in dishes to give them examples of how you would use that produce. And so, you know, I'm given a list of a hundred ingredients, and there's me trying to work out how to fit them all into into cooking demonstrations. (laughs) <laughs> but I love that. I like that challenge. Yeah. But, you know, I kind of... I did so much stuff all over the place last year that I got to December and I was just exhausted. So, you know, I've got to try and find a little bit more balance this year to try and, you know, so I don't, don't overdo it. But I, while I say that, I really love doing it. And I love that I get to go to all these beautiful, you know, regional areas. And every time I go to one of these places, I meet loads of people and they become my friends then. You know, I, I, and often, more often than not, I get asked to go back year after year after year. And so each time I go back, I've already got a well-established set of friends, you know, in Roma or in yeah, St. Yeah, George. Great, or great network. I love it. I absolutely love it. And, and I also get to go to the farms in that region usually and, you know, meet the farmers there and get a get an idea of how that particular region ticks. You know, I get a feeling for it, get a feeling for the people there, the the vegetation, the temp, the climate, the, you know, um, how things are done. Um, and, and I really enjoy that sort of, you know, that, that's, that, that's my job. Matt Galinsky, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Matt Galinsky there on Conversations in Noosa. I hope you enjoyed that. Now, if you're keen to uh, discover more of Matt Galinsky's recipes, he's been a contributor to In Noosa magazine since it launched in the spring of 2014. Simply head to our website, In Noosa magazine, all one word, lowercase letters, .com.au, and look up recipe in the search bar. And if you're keen to discover more Conversations in Noosa, same web address, forward slash conversations on the end, innoosamagazine.com.au forward slash conversations. Until next time.